Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we are studying Amos 8, that is the prophet Amos, or Amos chapter 8. This is Saul Weinreb, the host for your podcast. In the last chapter, chapter 7, which was kind of divided in two halves, it started off with three visions that Amos had. The, uh, the first two were visions of utter destruction that God was preparing to sent against the people. Amos prayed to God and God said he would not do them, that that he would have mercy. But the third vision was a vision of God measuring out the justice with the plumb line and God stated that he was going to imminently mete out this punishment. And this Amos was, did not pray uh, uh, to stop and because God had told him that this was imminent and it was going to happen. So the idea that we gleaned from that was the idea that in utter destruction, a complete destruction that the people could not handle, God wasn't going to do, but he was going to have to punish them in a more measured, more just way, a way that the people as a whole will survive, but they will still suffer the punishment. The second half uh, when we, of the last chapter was when the king and the uh, high priest, the idolatrous high priest Amatia, got wind of Amos's prophecies, and they uh, they wanted to banish him from the kingdom. But Amos uh, declared to them that because you, rather than heed my message and mend your ways, you want to throw me out so you don't listen to me, God is going to bring this destruction upon you soon. That destruction talked about in, se- in the last chapter 7 was more of an imminent destruction. It was more of a prediction of the destruction that's coming to the northern kingdom as a punishment for their deeds. In this chapter, we're going to deal with something that seems like something off in the future, like an end of days type of destruction. Um, And whenever the language kates is used in the Torah, that kates, um, it generally refers to the ultimate end. Kates meaning the end, the end of times, the ultimate end. And um, also the language Bayomahu on that day. I've been consistently translating the, the language Bayomahu as a reference to the ultimate future. And that is what Amos is going to turn our attention to now. So he starts by using the same language he used in the first three visions in the last chapter. Kohir ani Adonai So has shown to me, God has shown to me, the Lord God has shown to me this vision, the following vision. And behold, I saw keluv kayets, a basket of figs, cut figs. The language kayets here is, uh, can be translated as summer, the season summer. It is also, trans- also often used as a reference to the cut fruits at the end of the summer, specifically figs. Um, that are cut before they're ripe and allowed to ripen in the sun. Um, and they're the end, the last, the final fruits of the season, of the summer season. So he saw a basket of the fruits, the final fruits that are cut before they're completely ripe. Um, and this signifies the end of the season of, of cutting fruit. And this is what he saw, a basket of figs, Vayomer. And he, God said to me, What do you see, Amos? Omar and I said, Kulov Kayets, I see a basket of figs. But remember, using that language, Kayets, uh, of the end. By Omar Adonai Eli, and God said to me, Boha Kates, the Kates, which is a play of that word Kayets, um, the end of time has come, Elami Yisrael, to my nation Israel. 
I will no longer overlook and pass over their sins. Time has come to punish them. Now, verse 3, And the songs of the Heichal, the Heichal uh, can be translated as the um, tabernacle, the holy uh, parts of the building of the temple was called the Heichal. So Heililu, meaning that the songs of the Heichal, the songs of the temple, will become songs of lament on that day, that day in the future. Now, there's various ways to understand this Shirot HaHeichal. Rashi and the Radak understand that it's referring to the Heichal, the, uh, not referring to the Heichal in the temple itself, but referring to the, in, within the people's homes, the halls within their homes where they have their parties, where they have their, their immoral and wasteful parties. Those songs will turn into songs of lament. <laughs> The Malbim understands Heichal meaning the temples of the, of the idol worshippers that will become songs of lament. That, that's what the Shirot Heichal means. I would like to, um, to suggest that it doesn't mean either of those, but rather the Shirot Heichal actually means the songs sung in the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple of God itself. The reason why I say this is if we recall... And Amos himself, in chapter 5, verse 23, Amos went and deliberately criticized the people and said that the songs, when you come to God without changing and mending your ways, but all you do is come and sing songs to God of praise and think that that's somehow going to fix things. Um, Amos criticized the people for that and says that these songs are nothing. It says in verse 23 of chapter 5, Remove from me all of your songs. I'm not going to hear. God says, I am not going to listen to the songs produced by your musical instruments. That The context of that verse was, was the worship in the temple. It was referring to the songs of the temple. Don't come to me and sing songs. I'm not interested in those songs. And then again, almost repeated that criticism in chapter 6, verse 5. The people that they play on their instruments, they think that they're singing to me songs of praise like King, like King David did. But meanwhile, I don't want those songs. It's very, very similar to what we find in in Isaiah chapter 1 um, verse 15 and I'm just gonna read that to you really quick chapter 1 Verse 15, where Isaiah says, And when you raise your hands in prayer to me, even if you pray to me so much, I will not listen. Why? Because Because your hands are full of blood. Your hands are guilty. So don't come pray to me without fixing your sins first. That's what it means here. The, the songs of the Heichal that you come to sing to me are going to turn into songs of lament. Noam Adonai Elohim, let's continue the verse, so says the Lord our God. Rav HaPeger, there will be so much death that the, the dead 
will be um, strewn across across the, the, the fields, across the um, public places. in all places, God has sent silence. Silence could simply refer to death, but also hus here is similar. Uh, almost used this language hus before when he was referring to death, where he said uh, that people will be searching from house to house and uh, to find the survivors. And one person surviving from the house will, will, will come out when a relative comes and says, is anyone else alive? And he will say, no, no one else is alive. The Omar at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 10, the Omar, hus, hus, silent, be quiet, because he does not want to mention or talk about God anymore. This is somewhat re reminds one of the silence and the bewilderment of those that go through such terrible, terrible suffering. There's nothing left to say. The, what they saw, um, I, I would compare this to, to the silence of, of a victim of horrific, horrific, unimaginable trauma, something like a Holocaust survivor walking out. The, 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 what one finds when one reads the memoirs of many people for, the, for at least the beginning, it took a, a long, long time for them to want to talk about or say anything about their experience. They weren't, it was just silence. It was just so, so awful that, that all there was was hus, was silence. Shim Uzos, let's turn to chapter four, to verse four. Shim Uzos, listen to this. Hashoafim Evion, those among you who desire so much to destroy and work to the to, to destroy the poor, Vilashpis Anie Aretz, and to trample upon or destroy the poor of the land. Anie Aretz here is one of those places where the word has two forms: the way it's read and the way it's written. Anive Aretz is the way it's written in the Masoretic text. Anive meaning the humble, and Anie is the way it's read, meaning the poor. The humble and the poor are the ones that are getting trampled. This is the sin, Amos says. What is the sin? Why is this destruction coming? Because people, the wealthy, the powerful, are taking advantage of the humble and the poor. Lamar, what do the people say? They are so corrupt, so corrupt that they devise ways of taking advantage, taking financial advantage of the poor. Lamar to say, When will the month end? When the poor come, they find the, little, the wages that they make. At the end of the month, they get their wages and now they're coming to purchase. I can't wait till they come because we're going to cheat them. We're going to take advantage. We're going to the little bit that they did make. We're going to sell our grain and the Sabbath will come and they're going to want to buy food for their families. They're going to be desperate. We're going to have them and we're going to be able to sell them for whatever we want. We will go ahead and open up our, our, our storehouses of grain and we're going to cheat them. We are going to make our measurements small and we are going to make our weights large. And we are going to twist around our scales and mess our scales so that so that we can overcharge them for less produce. Um, and through this money, we are going to basically buy them. We are going to buy the poor. We're going to essentially enslave them to us. And the destitute so that we can buy ourselves a nice fancy pair of shoes. And while we're selling them stuff, not only are we going to cheat them in the amounts, but we're going to sell them the junk. We're going to sell them the garbage 
grain because that's all. So we're going to give them less, we're going to charge them more, and we're going to give them poor quality products. And in the end, we're going to make them more and more indebted to us. And what is this? Is this is the kind of people? This is the kind of sin that Amos is referring to. This is the reason for this destruction, this oppression of the poor. Nishpa Adonai Yaakov. God swears by the Gaon, by the pride of Jacob. Now, the understanding of this term Gaon, there's several ways to understand it. In many cases, the, the it's, it shows up often in the words of the prophets. If we go back to Hosea, Hosea 5, 5, we had the term Gaon Yaakov referring to the, uh, the, um, the Anag Gaon Yisrael Bifanov. The Yisrael, uh, that, that was there was referring to the, the um, arrogance, the pride, the, uh, the evil arrogance of the Israelites will, will answer against them. So sometimes Gaon Yaakov refers to the arrogance of the people. And that's one way of understanding this verse. Um, God swears by the people's arrogance that he won't forgive them. And that would make sense because we were just talking about oppression of others, which obviously comes from arrogance. We also found that in Amos himself in chapter 6, verse 8, where he also referred to arrogance in that sense. He says, Mito'ev, I find disgusting Anochi et Gaon Yaakov, the arrogance, the pride of Yaakov. But we also find in other places Gaon Yaakov referring to other things. The Radak brings two possibilities. Gaon Yaakov sometimes refers to the Beit HaMikdash. As we, we, as familiar from the verse in Tehillim, et Gaon Yaakov asher ohev selah that the, the Gaon, the pride of Yaakov, which is the temple in that verse, which, which God loves so much. That's in, the, in Psalms 47, verse 5. So God might be swearing by the temple, or sometimes it means God himself. Most famously in Exodus 15, 7, in the Song of the Sea, where it says, Uvurov Geoncha, and with the great Geoncha, greatness of God himself, Taros Komecha, he destroys those who come up against him. So over here, where God is, is talking about destruction of those who rebel against him, it might be um, easier to understand this verse saying that God swears by his own strength, by God's own uh, uh, greatness and ability. And continuing the end of the verse, what does he swear? He swears that he will never forget forever, the terrible deeds of the corrupt people. And then God says, as we've mentioned several times in Amos, the natural consequences of this corruption and oppression is that destruction will come. The land, nature itself cannot tolerate such corruption. For such behavior should not the land itself shake and tremble. And should not the land itself make mourn all those that live among it. In other words, cause this, the land itself will spit this out. The land itself will cause this destruction. And then the example of destruction is the example, this almost gives here and in the next chapter a similar, the same example of the, the Nile River, which would occasionally flood and cause just massive destruction in the land. And the land itself will rise up like the rising waters of the Nile. The entire land will rise up. And it will dis divorce and throw out the evil, and and it will and it will um, drown 
like the drown the evil from the land, like the uh, like the great river of Egypt, the Nile. Now, there's several interesting points here. One is is that it 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 just it it comes to mind. It brings to mind the image of a flooding, of course, which is terrible destruction. I just want to bring the Talmud in Barachot 54 uses flooding as an example of something that is evil and bad and terrible destruction, but does in the end have some productive result because after the water goes away, the nutrients that settled in the land from the flooding make the field especially um, fertile. So it's like bad that results in the end in something good. So the image of flooding here is chosen as opposed to the image of fire, the image of locusts, or something else which is completely destructive, which goes along to some extent with what we're going to find in the next chapter 9, where God says, yes, I'm going to mete out this destruction, but I will not destroy the people. There will be an end to the destruction, and there will be a revival. There will be a rebuilding. There will be a return to the land. And so deliberately he chose this. Another thing also here is, is this another uh, word here which is used both in two forms. It's form of, of how it's read and how it's written. Vinishka, right? It means, and it will, is the way it's written. And now the way it's written would be, and it actually, and it, and it gives to drink. It feeds the, the land. Vinishka is the way it's written, while the way it's read is Vinishka oh, with an ayin, which means and it and the land is 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 inundated, is um is flooded. So the, uh, this is hinting to this idea that there's both destruction and ultimately some rebuilding mm-hmm. taking place here as well. So that it is not all destruction. The um let's continue with verse nine. And it will be on that day. Remember, I said that on that day um, is always a reference to the ultimate that day in the future. says God, the Lord our God, I will bring in the sun during the day. I will make darken the sun in the middle of the day. And I will make the land dark on a bright day. This very much sounds like the idea of an eclipse, that, that he's simply saying that there will be an eclipse. And indeed, historically, it does seem that during the lifetime of Amos, there was at least one solar eclipse, as, which, which could have been predicted by this, and it's just a symbol of destruction. Um, I would like to read the next verse, 10, and then I'm going to get back to this. Yom Or and a possible different suggestion for its meaning. This is verse 10. I will turn your holidays into days of mourning. Um, again, the, 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 the holidays that people celebrate supposedly to God during a time when they personally in their lives are still corrupt is something that God has mentioned numerous times in Amos and in the other prophets as something that he particularly finds hateful. And all of your songs, again in reference to your songs, the songs that you come with your holidays, Lakina will turn into lamentations. And I am going to have all of your um your Musnaim, your 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 um 
your pants, your undergarments, your will be turned into sackcloth. All the fancy clothes will be gone. And your heads will be shaven. No longer will you have nice, beautiful hair and haircuts. And I will make it like when one mourns upon the yachid, their single, their only child. The mourning will be so horrible that it will be as like the, the terrible, terrible, unimaginable mourning and suffering over a, over a lone child. And and the in the end, and Kiyomar, it will all be like just one big bitter day. At the end, there will be hus, there will be silence, like we said before. Here he says, Kiyomar, it will be a bitter day. You won't even be able to talk. When you look back at it all, it will just be one terrible, terrible experience. Um, a mourner, uh, this is reference to one who is in mourning, one who is in the throes of mourning, uh, some can can't see good in anything. Everything is sad. The holiday season comes around. It's sad because he or she is misses the one who he or she loves and lost. So there, Kiyomar, afterwards, the end, it's just left in bitterness. Everything is bitter. Everything is sad. Even the things that otherwise would be would be nice and enjoyable have now become sad things. Hine, this next verse, 11, 8, 11, is a very uh, famous one. Um, Behold, there are days coming, says God, the Lord our God. There are days coming in the future. I'm going to send hunger in the land. But this is a very different type of hunger. I'm not talking about hunger for bread. People will have what to eat. That's not the hunger I'm referring to. And it is not a thirst for water. They'll have what to drink, but rather the hunger will be People will want to hear the word of God. They're going to want to hear the word of God. They're going to want to find the truth. They're going to want to know what's real, what's important. But they won't be able to find it. And they're going to search from sea to sea. They're going to go all the way to the north and all the way to the east. Yishotetu, they're going to wander, levakesh, at Tvar Adonai, to search out the word of God, but they will not be able to find it. This hunger for the word of God is, this. This these two verses have been used in many sermons, of course. I would like to uh, mention and quote from a book that I'm uh, currently reading by Dr. Edith Eager, who is a psychologist who is herself a survivor of Auschwitz. Um, and it's a beautiful book that I would recommend. It's called The Choice. In her own introduction, one of the things she said struck me, um, and I would like to quote her. Uh, and she says, if you ask me for the most common diagnosis that I've treated throughout my career, I would not say that the, the most common is depression or PTSD, though she admits that she sees plenty of that. But no, I would say hunger. We are hunger for, hungry for approval, hungry for attention, hungry for affection. We are hungry for the freedom to embrace life and to really know and embrace ourselves. Really knowing and embracing ourselves is what we find within ourselves. Um, and that is when we find truth, when we find truth and meaning in our lives. This is the word of God that we're searching for. And this is the hunger which the people will have during this future time. 
Um, it reminds me very much, of course, of the words in Deuteronomy chapter 30, um, where, where uh, verse, let's, if we just look at verse 12, looking at the words of God, it's not in the heaven, Lamar, to say who's going to go up to heaven and take it for us. It's not on a trip all the way across the three sea that we should say who's going to go and find the word of God for us. Verse 14, Deuteronomy 30. Because it is very close to you. So it is in your own mouths. It is in your own hearts. It is there. But people will search and search and search because they won't know. They won't have guidance. They won't understand. They're going to search for some ideology, something to hang on to. And all of they're going to hear, all that they're going to see around them from their leaders, from their teachers, is just hatred, division, partisanship, and so on. Instead of hearing truth, instead of hearing empathy, instead of hearing love, instead of hearing um the the values that Amos is trying to teach, the values of justice, the values of righteousness, if they would hear these things, they would realize that these things are to be found within themselves. And the, who is most vulnerable to this hunger is the youth, the youth that are still searching. There's still hope for them to find the right path. And they search and they search through the... Uh, among the ideologies of the day for this truth and they don't find it and what will happen after they wander the world searching unfortunately they will become tired and exhausted on that day verse 13 the beautiful young women are going to get exhausted from searching and the young men the wonderful young men will die of thirst they're searching for a path, searching for an ideology, and it is the youth that suffers the most. I can't help but mention recently uh, reading a report from the CDC uh, that the youth suicide rate in, in, in individuals between the ages of 10 and 24 has, uh, has, has risen by over 56% in the last 10 years. This just reflects exactly what Amos is talking about. The youth is so much more susceptible to this, searching for ideologies and instead finding only hate, searching for meaning and finding only meaninglessness will lead them to be exhausted from that search. Hanish Ba'im, verse 14, those that swear be Ashmasomon, they persist. Instead of recognizing their ways, what do the people do? They persist in swearing that the, the sins of Shomron, the sins of which I am criticizing you for, they persist in it to the extent that they swear that that's the right way. The Amru and they say, Long live your God, Dan, which is referring to the idols and the immoral ways of, of, of the people that worship there, the people that live there, the immoral ways of oppression and all of the things that Amos have been criticizing. They actually make it as if those are great, that those are wonderful, and they swear by them. And, and long live the ways uh, the, and, and the road to Beersheba, which is another place where they had set up their 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 centers of 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 evil practice these people this type of way will fall it will fail and they will never ever get up thank you so much for studying almost chapter eight looking forward to studying almost chapter nine and concluding this wonderful book together